Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it Dave Simonette and Trampled by Turtles opening up the show. I mentioned that because I saw them last week in Duluth Superior. You're a fan, right, Lou? Yeah, yeah. They're a um, terrific live live band as we uh, record this. They um, they played Red Rocks last night. They're on their way to Montana. They're going to be playing in Bozeman probably, I think it's the day this episode will come out, or maybe it's the day before. And... Uh, Pre-promoting Hal Herring's podcast for him. Uh, Dave is going to be on with um, Hal on BHA's podcast and blast. So I look forward to listening to, the, to that. So I won't pre-promote somebody else's <laughs> podcast. We'll talk about ours. Um, si- you know, when you think about it, the single largest hurdle, not just think about it. We've talked about this as an organization. Single largest hurdle to getting into bird hunting and living in upland hunter's lifestyle is that dog but it's also in my opinion what brings the greatest joy i can't even not smile when i start talking about the dog component of bird hunting so on today's episode i'm joined by a guy i consider a friend he's a co-worker here at the uh, at pheasants forever and quail forever he is the face of National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic to every corporate partner and exhibitor that comes through our gates. He's the friendly face that helps them find their booth, get them electricity, and uh, make sure the show runs off without a hitch. I'm speaking, of course, of Luke Ramthune. All of our partners know Luke's name. As a title, um, he is a senior corporate partnership account executive at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And Luke is a relatively new owner of a bird dog. So I've been watching you on Instagram, Luke. You've been posting uh, your, your pup, your pup's exploits on Instagram over the course of the spring and the summer. And I thought it'd be a fun conversation to chat with Luke about his pup and what he expected heading into becoming a first-time bird dog owner. He's owned a dog before, but... First time bird dog owner, what's been surprising, what's been rewarding, and without further ado, Luke, thanks for joining me on this episode of Ongoing Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on the program, Bob. Um, All right, so I mentioned there's a lot of folks out there listening who know you, but Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of folks that probably don't. Mm -hmm. So give a little bit of background of of your story, where where you're from, where you grew up, what you... um, you know, maybe where, where you went to school, what what you do for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm Luke Rampton. I've uh, been with Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever for six years. And, um, yeah, primarily an account executive that handles all of our corporate partners. So, um, as you mentioned, the exhibitors and sponsors at Pheasant Fest. And then I handle all their marketing programs um, and then anything around sponsorships. So, yeah, I grew up a uh, country boy um, in Zumber Falls, Minnesota. 
In where? Zumbro Falls. Zumbro Falls. Yeah. And I caught something. You pronounced your last name differently than I did. So I, I've been screwing up. Oh. I had a heavy U. <laughs> it's not Ramthoon. It's Ram- Ramthon. Ramthon. Ah, yeah. well, geez. It's like we hardly know each other. Hardly, I'm sorry. I'm hardly at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I live just south of the metro now, um, and I grew up bow hunting. Uh-huh. So my hunting heritage story goes back to bow hunting when I was a kid. I remember looking at um, photographs of us shooting recurves in the backyard about when we could stand. And um, so that was, you know, pretty traditional uh, around my dad. And But what was not traditional is another one of my influences and big mentors growing up was my grandmother. Hmm. Um, she was a huge bow hunter and... Um, you know, she was um, just uh, paramount importance to my upbringing in the outdoors. Um, she was heavily involved in her archery club, uh, had several Pope and Young deer, hmm. um, just growing down in the basement with giant bucks and archery trophies and things like that. And, uh, you know, the, she wasn't supposed to be doing that. You know, people were telling her that she was supposed to be in the kitchen and raising the kids and, and that kind of thing. And She'd always say, you know, oh, the men were so jealous and things like that. And Is she uh, still around? She's still with us, yeah. Yeah, yeah just an amazing lady. And, um, you know, I can't thank her enough for those lessons and stories. You know, I used to hunt their property, and, and um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd come back out of the woods at the end of the evening, and the deer would be down the trail. I said, Grandma, the, the deer was right down my trail, and then stopped, like, Six cents stopped and turned around, and uh-huh. she'd say things like, "Well, you know, you're a part-time hunter; they're full-time deer. Mm. You know, things like that, mm. and and how the wind is so important, right? And and um, you, you know, she's like, "Oh, I've shot them in a plaid coat with perfume on. You know, the wind mm. is important. So uh, that was a big part of my uh, upbringing. And then, so we'd bow hunt in the fall, mm-hmm. and then we would uh, trout fish, trout fish, excuse me, uh, in the spring, and. After all that growing up, um, trout fishing, I, I came back to that as an adult. And mm. so fly fishing, I've been fly fishing for almost 20 years now, and that's become an obsession, mm-hmm. uh, which really led into uh, conservation. Mm. And we need cold, clean water. Mm-hmm. And we need bugs. Mm-hmm. And so that really put me on this conservation path, and pretty soon we are at organic farms and learning more about um they're selling like native grass plugs for mm-hmm. oh you're gonna love these in your backyard for mm-hmm. bees and butterflies and things and this is before pheasants forever and uh so we started planting those and um yeah it's just been conservation and that whole outdoor lifestyle and fair chase and ethical hunting mm. and that just kind of brought me right to fortunately you know getting into sales and marketing and then fortunate enough to be here with uh with pheasants forever because you moved to illinois from minnesota for a while yep. as you pursued your your right. career right correct yeah and so yeah it's uh, you got to drive a well you don't have to but it seems like when you're in chicagoland you got to sit in a car for a long time to right. find the outdoors not necessarily but um it's not as easy as one may think there are definitely connections there um but once we got back to minnesota my wife and my wife's family is part of a hundred year century farm hmm um, so what started as our native plant plugs uh, turned into a lot of different um, just learning around native grass mm-hmm. and habitat and things like that. And my wife is, it's it's sort of aligns with the Pheasants Forever story. My wife is in the process of taking over the farm now. So mm-hmm. she's doing all the farming, the crops, the cattle, things like that. 
and you know traditionally so uh corn and soybean rotation mm. right and um edge to edge so some of the first steps were buffer strips and mm. families starting to get concerned because it's fourth generation they want to pass that soil health down to the mm-hmm. next one and um, now what my wife's doing it's just so fun to watch her with with the crop rotation and there's so much diversity now we've got our buffer strips we've got several new um plots of crp hmm. um and instead of just corn and soybeans it's oats rye kernza um 12, you have kernza kernza 12 different species of cover crops um hmm. so i can't speak to all of that but um hmm. again that just gives the listeners a little idea of my yeah right on like that, so that's pretty cool so uh, trout fishing is the inflection point for you that really led you to this so yeah um you've become more and more of a bird hunter as you've worked here you've gone on trips um and then something changed where you dove head first it was there a was there an inflection point from the bird hunting perspective for you i I mean it's just you know drinking the (laughs) kool-aid just being here long enough you know you start i mean it's uh i i always wanted a bird dog Hmm. um that didn't happen with my first one uh my wife's family is just talking about they're a one dog family okay and they all she grew up they all believe in um rescue dogs adoption okay, sure. you know getting those dogs need homes mm-hmm. um so that was our path to getting a dog and um we saw this was before kids we'd just been married and we saw some advertisement you know she's looking at adoption agencies and groups and things like that and her parents had a golden retriever at the time and i thought oh, that'd be that'd be pretty cool you mm-hmm. know and uh, there was a, a list for a lab retriever mix. Hmm. And so we went to look at this pup, and uh, we, we brought her home, and that was our first dog, Charlie. And uh, she's definitely not a hunting dog. Really? Okay. My, my, my okay. idea was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this dog, and, you know, maybe we'll hunt a little bit sure. and, and that kind of thing. Nothing too serious. This is before Pheasants Forever. But, yeah, she turned out looking a lot more like a beagle. I think they, huh. they try to move golden retriever in labs, most popular sure, dogs. So, sure, you know, But sure. anyway, she was a great, great dog. Okay. So I'm going to transition to what I've termed in my mind my first bird dog episode. Um, Before I go there, I want to give a shout-out to our national partner, On X Hunt. They're a proud supporter of everything Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever does, and they want to thank everybody who gives back to the birds we all love and the places that those birds call home. You, our listeners, can download the Onyx Hunt app for a free seven-day trial and get 20% off by using the code PFQF. So that code, PFQF, entitles you to 20% off your purchase for the Onyx membership. And a portion of your purchase will go back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Wildlife Habitat conservation mission mission so thank you very much to onyx doing tremendous things for bird hunters and creating public habitat public lands habitat for all of us to go chase bird dogs around all right so luke we know the end of the story that you got a bird dog but i want to walk through that journey and you know i can speak firsthand you know as a uh, somebody's just starting here that didn't have a dog when I first started. There's lots of influences <laughs> um, within the organization, uh, whether it be coworkers, um, members, chapter volunteers, partners that uh, will gladly 
sing the praises of their favorite breed um, in a good way, right? Like it's, it's one of the best things is to listen to the passion and enthusiasm that people have for their breed. But it is a very difficult (laughs) uh, decision to figure out what breed you're going to get when you haven't had one. Um, and you're working here with so many resources. Tell me about um, that process for you, selecting a breed. I picked the very first bird dog I hunted over. Is that right? <laughs> well, it's kind of true. Um, first bird dog I hunted over after I was hired by Pheasants Forever. Really? <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? Yeah, the wild. N- next question. <laughs> uh, uh, no, um, I, we were, I was invited to uh, hunt with uh, some other corporate partners. Okay. Uh, locally here, and there was a guide out there that had large Munsterlanders. Okay. And um, we were, I, of course, I had no idea what the dog was. I was hunting and, and uh, you know, walking close to the guy and just saying, you know, I, you know, I'm not a big upland hunter at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd shot birds before, but, uh, um, you know, I was talking to him, you know, I'm pretty new, pretty new to this. And he's, oh, don't worry about it. You know, um, you know, the biggest thing is safety and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we're hunting and I, I just blown away. Like my dad used to hunt pheasants over beagles and, and stuff like that. But I was just, I was just totally blown away. And I said, oh my gosh, what, what kind of dog, what kind of dogs are those? And he said, Monsterlander. I said, what? Oh, not, <laughs> what language are you talking? Exactly, I'm not going to remember that. Yeah. And uh, he's all oh, the German long hair pointing breed. And of course, this happens, and I totally forget and mm-hmm. just leave it. And uh, so, I I like that long hair classic mm. setter look. Mm-hmm. My my dad's a big uh, motorcycle Harley rider, mm. and he always made fun of people on the sidewalk who would wear Harley Davidson shirts. Oh, they're sidewalk bikers. So. <laughs> I considered myself a sidewalk setter guy. Uh, okay. I always wanted that long hair, huh. classic setter, um, ammunition box, gun dog. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to get. And, you know, I talked to several setter breeders and, and this and that. And, uh, of course, with my current dog, it just wasn't a fit. But then um, over the years, I – Pheasant Fest – it mm. was the direct connection to figure out my bird dog. And for anybody who is coming to us new, mm-hmm. Pheasant Fest is absolutely the place if you want to learn about different bird dog breeds because it's kicked off by a bird dog parade. All the bird dog clubs are there. And so I was at Minneapolis Pheasant Fest and, and uh, reconnecting with, um, now I'm good friends with the uh, directors at the Large Munsterlander Association of America group. Um, so they always come and exhibit at Pheasant Fest. Yeah, and, what, and that's what you mean by most of the breeds are at Pheasant Fest yep. and Quail Classic because they have breed club booths Correct. to um, educate people and celebrate their whatever breed it is. And they are more than happy and welcoming. They love their breed, right? Just mm-hmm. like you just said. They want people to come in. They'll give you the, your cell phone numbers. They will engage with you. They'll invite you to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. So we were the pan. I connected with those guys. I think it was 2020 P-Fest. We just got off before the pandemic. Gotcha. And then we come back to Minneapolis in 2022. Yeah. Uh, 2023. So yeah. We, we came back to Minneapolis in 2023, and I'm walking down the hall, and I'm passing this guy with the most beautiful dog. And I, I stopped, and I said, yeah, excuse me, I I'm sorry, I just think you have the most beautiful dog <laughs> I have ever seen. 
<laughs> and he's like, you told me that last pheasant fest. No yeah. way. It was the same. It was, it was Jim, uh, my, my friend Jim, who's one of the directors of the Large Munch United group. And I totally and you didn't forgot. Remember. I didn't remember. Just completely natural. Yep. And then we, we started talking. He literally sat there. We, we sat there talking, and he was helping me and giving me insight and information on the breed. And I was just loving everything he was saying for 30 minutes or more. Just kidding. I was working. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we were sitting there talking the, the bird dog breed. Well and, played. And, um, and what, for clarification, we're talking large, large monster lander, monster lander yeah, yeah. versus small monster lander Correct. because there are two distinct breeds there. Yeah, and the large monster lander has, I've learned, has nothing to do with the small monster hmm. lander. Large monster lander actually, and I hope I get this right, comes from the German long-haired pointer. Mm, okay. They just happen to be out of the same area of Munster, Germany. Hmm. And the, the um, German long-haired pointers, they're all brown. Mm-hmm. And they started to get some uh, dark, uh, black, blacker dogs mixed in. They're like, nah, we're, we don't. That's not part of our breed standard. So then the the breed Sm- club split. Okay. And then that's large Munsterlander. So yeah, so that was it. And uh, you know, those guys just you know, like we talk about here over and over, mentorship is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took me under their wing. They have a large Munsterlander hunt every year. They invited me to that. Hmm. Um, I think there were probably third because every field that we hunted, every area. Um, there was at least one LM, we call them, in the group. So there were probably 30 LMs at that event. So I hmm. could see the differences and how they pointed and how they – and I was just so impressed with, with that. And, uh, yeah, so we brought home Ada. Ada? Yeah, Ada the large monster land. And a little bit more on that breed. It's considered a versatile breed. Correct. Right? So it's a pointer who also retrieves. Yep. Um, tell me – like what's the so, size and you know you talked a little bit about the coloration but longer hair like yeah. a setter yeah and that was uh that was kind of my my reason between i mean again i was a sidewalk setter guy i was going to get <laughs> a classic english setter and um i went to redfield in south dakota I, south dakota and i can't remember what year it was but it was the year they had terrible rains mm-hmm. and so when we hunted everywhere was lakes it was lakes or else it was standing corn because mm. the farmers couldn't get in and all harvest all that corn. Yep. And I, I couldn't shoot birds because mm. if I, I didn't have a dog yet. Mm. So if I shot bird into the lake, I'd have to go swimming. Mm. And I, if I had to shot, shoot a bird in the corn, I'd have to go in the corn and find my, well, let's be, I was missing them. But, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, uh, I, I just right there at that moment, I was kind of between those two breeds, uh, English setter, English setter. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, if that English setter doesn't go in this water and get my bird for me, you know, so that's sort of why I kind of went to um, the versatile breed thing. And I spend a lot of time on the water as a fisherman. I just wanted a water buddy and, mm. and that. So that's that's sort of why I went versatile. Not that I know there are a lot of setters that love water. Sure. And, and, and retrieve. naturally retrieve and do yep. all that whole thing. I get yep. that. But for me, this was. This well, was and you also had the fact that two years in a row, you saw this dog walking down the hallway at Pheasant Fest. You're like. The most beautiful puppy I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. Um, so how did you pick the exact pup? Did you have somebody coaching you? Did you tell the breeder what you were after? How, how did it end up you got Ada? Yeah, so I did not, we didn't get to pick the pup. Mm. Um, and that's one thing about, one thing about the breed maybe some people wouldn't wouldn't be the right fit for them but one thing i do love about the breed is with the large munchlander association um they have very strict 
responsible breeding program. They have a breeding, I hope, gosh, I hope I do this right. These guys are going to roast me if I don't. They have a breeding officer, I believe it is, that approves all breedings within the year. And you you may have heard of that. But, um, yeah, so basically you got on a list, and it was a long, I was lucky enough because I just started calling. And, of course, you know, it's after Pheasant Fest, and I was all excited. And um, I just said, hey, if you have any spots to open, oh, as luck would have it, somebody did drop out. So I got on the list, but then they – you know, for lack of a better term, they interviewed the families, tried to do the right fit. In the mm-hmm. past, I had talked to the breeder, and they had done the, you know, first choice, second choice mm-hmm. type things. And they'd been burned by that for a number of different reasons. So they actually picked picked the pup. I just said, I want a, I want a ticked female. And, hmm. uh, yeah. So. It's interesting because, you know, that I think the per- perception is, it, no matter what breed, that it's real critical that you get like first second pick out of a litter but i, I you know it's i think it's important for folks to know that that like i've had i don't know three in a row where i did not pick my pup wow i could have been like gone to i had you know quote unquote first pick but i have a relationship now with a breeder mm-hmm. that i've gotten a number of pups from they know me in, in meredith they know what I like to hunt, that I like to hunt combination of forests for rough grouse and fields for pheasants and, yep, and, right. and right, southern, uh, you know, whether it's Arizona for desert quail or, you know, the Great Plains for bobway. They kind of know what my style is. They yep. know, hey, I really want a strong pointer that honors naturally and yep. then does, like, I I I gotta have one that's a natural retriever. Yep. You know, I just wing too many birds and I don't want to lose them. No, you know? exactly. So you go through these things, and you know, I'm not gonna. Uh, on occasion, I ride a horse, but for the most part, I'm yeah. I'm a foot hunter. You yeah, know, right. so you you talk through the distance and you kind of give the range of things you want and the coloration that you desire, yep. and then that breeder gets to know all those puppies and all the potential owners in the mix and then tries to match best as possible right. and i've gone down that road three in a row now yep and couldn't be happier that was my I will process do, yep. i will do the fourth awesome I, right i would just yep. like put me on the list and match what i'm looking for i don't care what number it is i'm not going to go down and pick the one right you you know because right. think about that if you where where your your breeder was in minnesota in wisconsin in wisconsin yeah but sometimes, you know, it's like five states away. Yeah, they're actually in Alaska now. So, right? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, you know, you might meet a puppy for like a half hour or an hour and you got to make a pick. If you can find a breeder that you trust and can have an open line of communication, yep. they know those puppies really well and they know the owners and then they can make that match. And I think having a breeder, a kennel, no matter what breed that you can have that kind of conversation makes a huge difference. Right. Right. Yeah. So going back to your question, um, the large monster lander is a medium to large size, mm. uh, dog, uh, long haired pointing versatile breed. Um, and, uh, the different colorations are ticked, which is the spotted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they have like a black, they call it a saddle cause it's kind of a black saddle. And then they have, um, uh, black heads. And, um, 
they also come plated, which is just, it almost looks border collie-ish coloring mm. with the black and just plain black and white, no spots. Um, and then roan, where they're completely spotted, where many of them are almost black and you could almost um, mistake one for a flat coat or something. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, a lot of people asking there, you know, oh, oh, I love my Springer. Is that a Springer? You know, when she was smaller. Um, and then now I get, I get setter. Mm-hmm. And one person came up and said, what? what in the world is that? Is that a setter crossed with a lab? (laughs) (laughs) And and there's not not very many large monster landers around either. No, 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 not that many. They, they tattoo each one for, for everyone that's bred during the year. She's got a tattoo with her number of the year and the number of pup. And uh, yeah, so there aren't, there aren't, that many i don't remember the numbers myself but you could go to lmaa.org and figure that out lmaa.org i believe is the huh. association website or just google large monster lander and you'll find right. it yeah another couple of good if anyone's interested in that breed in particular a couple of good um like breed profile resources are out there a great article by gun dog if you google it um project upland did another one that was mm. that was good and talks about the disposition things like that so Speaking of shout outs, I know that you, you work with Ron Bame and, and uh, Justin McGrail, the Upland Institute, um, as a partner yeah, of right. Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's um, on the show floor at Pheasant Fest, Ad in the Journal, and you know that sort of an introduction for you yeah. into a training process. Yeah, yeah. So um, it it's awesome, Upland Institute. It's uh, for me, it was just the right fit, you know, and, and I would, as a, you know, somebody who's coming into it new or th- considering getting a bird dog, um, obviously you want to engage others, look at all your resources, plan, uh-huh. um, you know, and get ready, get your home ready because you forget all that puppy stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then really, I mean, look into professional trainers. Um, for me, it was kind of the fly fishing thing. I hmm. wanted to catch a fish on my own fly. Uh-huh. I love the process. Uh-huh. And so I sort of was stubborn and wanted to do it myself, but I knew I needed help. And for somebody who's busy and I don't get to hunt as much as I'd like, uh, the Upland Institute is just perfect. And, and I absolutely love it. And it's, it's worth every penny uh, of subscribing to that online course training services. Um, it's a lot of what I did with my first dog mm-hmm. um, in the foundations and fundamentals, but a lot of stuff I didn't do that I wanted to know about just the basics without asking folks, you know, I can just look it up myself. Um, and what I mean by that is like, I didn't crate train my last dog. Mm. My last dog was just open free feed. Mm. I wanted to learn to use that as a training tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the stakeout piece mm-hmm. given to the collar. And so I can learn to introduce an e-collar likely. Um, so the Upland Institute has just been, uh, just a tremendous invaluable resource for me. I absolutely love it. And the, the best thing about it is it's got the three courses, foundations and, and fundamentals, um, the trained retrieve and advanced bird work. And I really haven't done much from the advanced bird work and the trained retrieve yet. It's all, I'm still in the foundation stage. How old is Ada? She's a year now. Oh, okay. She's okay. a year. So I've done a lot and mm-hmm. I've looked ahead. I kind of want, I know where we want, we sort of want to go. Um, but I really want to have that strong foundation and mm-hmm. the greatest thing about it is they're like eight minute video clips mm-hmm. so well first off back off like it just it, it helped like i aligned with justin mcgrail i'd listened to him on podcasts before never met him never talked to him um 
And I just, you know, it really helps when you've got a trainer that you, the methods, you align with the methods, mm-hmm. right? So I was super excited about that. And when I found out he was doing this program, I had to, I had to get my hands on it. And um, it, it's, it's broken down so easy. So I can do the eight-minute segment. I can go in the yard or go to the field. I'm fortunate enough to have that access. But even in the park or the yard, I can practice it. Mm-hmm. And I can come back at night and watch it again. So I'd watch the course before I brought the pup home. But then when I bring the pup home, I can watch the little tidbits, mm-hmm. and it makes it so easy. So, And then everything that he does layers on layers. So I'll give you an example. I think it, I call it quartering in the field, and I can't remember if that's exactly what they call it. But when you have your dog in the field, and I think the, the thing around this is if you're working a field that you're hunting, and the dog you want, to, you, you want the dog to go one direction or you want to follow the dog, but then you get to a, a forested area or wooded area or a road or mm-hmm. somewhere where you don't want the dog to go. You don't want him to chase a deer. You need to change directions. Bounce, yeah. Obviously, you're going to follow the dog's nose. Yep. But you go from one side and then change direction, go to the next side. And all that starts with, like, puppy walks and things. But this training program, you, you have the dog on the 30-foot lead. You go one direction, touch, give yep. him a little pull. I'm yep. showing a pull. Go the other direction, touch, give him a little pull, switch. So then you do that. You practice that. Mm-hmm. Then I added a whistle, the mm-hmm. English P-list whistle, and he's, he's got the whistles, and he goes over the equipment for newbies and everything. So it's perfect for a guy like me. I don't have to spend millions of dollars. I just need what I need. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, at that tap or that pull, when we're changing directions, now it's a beep, mm-hmm. beep, long beep to come in, beep. So you're connecting the pressure of the um, check cord Correct. to a sound. Yes. And then you, eventually you'll drop the check cord, and you'll just have the whistle because now they're two are connected in the dog's mind. And then you put the e-collar. Mm-hmm. So then I'm going out there and I'm doing the e-collar, mm-hmm. either the beat, the tone, or and I started with the tone because she was used to the whistle. Mm-hmm. And then I went into the stem, l- lowest level stem mm-hmm. after e-collar introduction. So it's a touch with the mm-hmm. touch with the. And then after that, you remove the check cord. She's she's freaking solid. Dude. <laughs> that's like, great. Not, no, I no, mean, that's wonderful. It's not perfect. You can every see, time. you can hear and see the level of you know satisfaction and, and confidence like that. It, it created um, success for you. That's Upland Institute, and it's like I said, it's like that step by step that made it easy for a brand newbie. I, I work at Pheasants Forever, but I am brand new to bird dogs mm-hmm. and bird dog training mm-hmm. and uh, layering things like that. It just made sense to me. And when I take her out to the field right now, I don't need that check cord anymore. Sometimes we'll brush up on it, but she just moves with me if I need her to. And when I beep that thing long, she comes in and good girl, give her a spritz of water. <laughs> Dude, it's fun. It is, it is a lot of fun. So yeah, hats off to them. And, and, uh, <laughs> you could tell you're 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 an ambassador now. I guess so. This is the first time talking about it. So yeah, else, probably, there's but, joy. That's great. Yeah. Um, what hasn't gone as easy as you expected? What? So so I open the show right. Like the basis of this foundation is we want more people to get involved in conservation, and we know that one of the things that getting people involved in wildlife habitat conservation is a love of the land that often comes through hunting. And a limiting factor in getting people bird hunting is the dog. It's a big commitment. Yep. So what's been, you know, maybe, maybe take me through your, your highs and lows of, you know, the first year of owning a bird dog for the first time. Man, when I, <laughs> when I brought her home and, you know, my last dog, just being the companion animal, I mean, she would have done anything I asked. 
Mm. I mean, she was absolutely a wonderful, wonderful dog. Anything I asked, she would just, it was perfect. And so I think that, you know, getting another dog, and you, you know, you hear that a lot where people expect kind of the same thing, but it doesn't happen right away. You forget mm. about it. I mean, the puppy bikes, bites, mm. the puppy barks. Mm. Um, I was about ready to throw her out the window. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's some of those first. And you're a pretty patient guy. Yeah. And uh, so you get through that stage. I, I talked to some uh, coworkers and friends here and Rachel. She said, that's Lucas. Calm down. It's going to stop. I promise that stuff's going to stop. She's mm. going to, she's going to get over that. That hump was tough. Mm. One thing that I, that I didn't, didn't do well when I brought the pup home and Upland Institute has you do this where you take advantage of when they come home at eight weeks and nine and 10 weeks in that early part with uh, puppy walks, take advantage when they want to be with you. Mm. Right. And walk mm -hmm. with them and turn. So they follow you and things like that. Well, one thing we live with another person in our house, another adult, so we're a multifamily home. And the other person in the house is very, uh, commanding leader type person. And mm. I, in my head, and this was kind of not the best thing, but, uh, I had her on the leash a lot. Mm. And uh, just because I, I wanted to control that, I didn't want her to follow that other leader that first crucial time. I wanted to, I'm alpha, mm -hmm. you listening to me. And part of that is okay of an idea, right? Because you want to have that person that's listening to the dog. But part of it, I think, led to uh, recall issues down the road. Mm. I'm not, I'm not sure, mm. you know, because I don't, I don't know. But she was the hardest dog I've had to train with second dog, but it was very difficult, the recall. Mm. She's doing great. But um, I think just, you know, when, when they're young like that, you can bring them home and, and give them a little trust and they'll give you back some mm. is kind of what I learned from this dog in particular. Mm. Every dog's different. Um, but I certainly would have changed that. I would have gave her a little bit more free reign. Hmm. Um, yeah. What's been easier than you would have expected? Uh, you know, I, it's, it's not easy and it's easy. You hmm. love it. You love your dog. I, I don't know. I mean, it's none of it's easy, but you love your dog. So it becomes easy and, and just that whole process. And hmm. I think the easiest piece for me and that I'm lucky to have is a number of different resources. I mean, I have all these people here that I work with that I can talk with. I've got my mentors at the large Munsterlander. I'm utilizing this program, the dog clubs. Um, so I guess I just encourage people to make sure to engage with others mm -hmm. and whether it's NAVDA, the large Munsterlander association is heavily involved in NAVDA, um, and getting involved in a bird dog club and that kind of thing. Um, that, that really helps you along. Mm. Um, Mel Shockman, who used to work with us. She mm, has a large monster yeah, lander. In, in North Dakota. Correct. So I tapped on her a ton. Thank you, Mel. My goodness. She was probably sick of my calls and emails, but just, <laughs> you know, just so I could learn more about family life and the breed and, mm -hmm. and everything. Um, but no, it's, uh, and, and thinking about it further, probably the easiest thing is, is just the family dog piece. She's really come into the family great. They're great with kids. They're calm. And you have home. two kids. I have two kids, uh, nine and six, and um, she's gosh she's just perfect with the kids mm. just absolutely they love her they play with her she's calm hmm. um, that's one thing I really uh, as much as uh, people think I'm a calm person I'm really not a calm very calm <laughs> person that's baloney and calm uh, person okay uh, <laughs> ask my wife um 
<laughs> so I really like, I love the like, turn it on. That's one of this, a lot of setter people mm-hmm. I've talked to, you know, like turn it on and then wet noodles in the house. Mm-hmm. Like she is chill in the house, really? truly, okay. even at a year old. And it didn't really take that long. You know, mm-hmm. that first tiny puppy stage, I can't even remember how long that was, but the barks and the bites went away quickly. And then she was I don't want to say the word perfect, but she's not. But she is wonderful mm. in the home. Um, so I think that's probably the easiest part. My other dog we got, like I said, before kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was not a children dog. So mm. we had kids. And then, of course, babies made her nervous. And mm. that just kind of escalated. It wasn't a bad situation. Um, but I think probably the easiest thing is just this this breed and this dog in particular. That's just awesome. been great. So Because yeah. you do hear that about a lot of bird dog breeds like oh they're just so hyper they do you feel like you have to run ada every single day or it's is she moldable to whatever lifestyle you're living at that moment in time right now because she's younger i think i think i would probably tell you a different story at maybe four years five years it would be my guess i don't Mm. know um, right now I do want to make sure I run her mm-hmm. just because she has that energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got to go, she's never naughty really. Um, but yeah, I do. And I, and I like it. You mm-hmm. know, it's just getting the exercise and being active. Um, so I do, I do feel like I need to run her and work her every day, but when it comes to the training, I mean, it really, it's, you know, 10 minutes, 12 yeah. minutes, yeah. that's what's needed. Um, but yeah, I do like to run her. And like I said, fortunate enough, we're close to the farm and we're out there all the time. So we, we do have the space. So so you mentioned you you've solicited a lot of advice, coworkers, large monster landing club, right? And you've asked for it. What's the best nugget of nugget of advice? And maybe is there something that you're like, yes, yeah, somebody told me this, and that wasn't very good advice either. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, when I was looking for setters, um, I was talking to one of the breeders in particular, and she said that she didn't she didn't train hunting at all she just trained obedience which to me being a new bird dog owner was kind of like well I can do that I can do the obedience part I've already done it right Mm -hmm. and she just her training was of course there was training but it was training on wild birds in the field Mm. right so that that to me I felt like was a good piece of advice at the time but then I also called your friend Mike Weeben at, Mm. at Dawkins and he sort of had a flip side to that where the obedience comes in with the bird and gun work mm. like like the bird and the gun and the obedience it all plays in it, it all interconnects with a bird dog yeah. and that also made a little sense to me so i think that was that was good advice um that i really enjoyed from kind of both sides of it mm. um and then actually i think it was my first pheasant fest i was sitting down with you and i didn't think of this before because you would ask me i think something along the lines of what do you plan to do most with your dog? Mm. And I never, you know, I was already like, I'm a sidewalk setter guy. <laughs> and, but I, I did not think about that. Mm. And so with this whole long over the years, mm-hmm. that question came right back into play because all these things of hunting over them, talking to people, mm-hmm. doing my research, talking to breeders, all that came back into play of what do you exactly want to do? And I spend a lot of time on the water, um, mm-hmm. so I want my water buddy. I ski in the off season like you, I want my winter dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I want to hunt primarily pheasants and these dogs are wonderful. You know, they were bred for tracking. Yeah. So, you know, if we've got that wily pheasant that <laughs> maybe wasn't shot the best the first time they'll be able to find it. So, so yeah, no, that was a great piece of advice. And then we were out at the farm one day, this was after I'd got her, but I, she'd only been home for a month and a half and Ben, 
Bredigan came over from Onyx mm. and we were going to take the horses out. So we went out for a horseback ride and I'm still doing this today. That's why I bring this up is my, Oh, you got a pup. Oh, cool. Oh, good to meet her. So Ben's, you know, he loves dogs and he's, he's talking to my pup and, and I'm like, Ada, come Ada, sit Ada. So he went to his truck. He grabbed a, um, Justin McGrail using him a nylon, uh, I call him a choke lead, but I guess a slip lead okay. is what it is. Yep. Yep. So he put the slip leader on it. He's like, dude, don't talk. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he said, don't talk so much or whatever. Right, right. And he started moving the dog. He would tap, tap, pull up on the mm. slip lead and she'd follow him, tap, stop her, tap around. And then he'd get down with body language and he'd tap and come right to her. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Snake charmer. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that was amazing. So huh. I have been trying to, and I'm doing that even today. Like I, <laughs> I will throw on my noise canceling headphones huh. and I'll, you know, like I said, I've had to work on recall with this dog. Now she comes without me even calling her. I'll give the body language and mm. she'll come or I will have her on a lead and I'll have her jump up on a flat rock and just stay. And so I'm doing some of this stuff that I do in the training, but I'm not saying the commands anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's been kind of fun to just like, don't talk. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't communicate that way. So it wasn't, that was a piece of advice. He probably didn't even try to give me, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, have you done bird and gun introduction with, so with my mentors at the, with Carl was an, okay. Nice Carl Brandt. Yeah. Yep. And he's a guide, um, trained many dogs. So I went out and, and he spent the time with me to do bird and gun. So okay. I did it through the club, which was, um, kind of untraditional a little bit. And how'd yeah. that go? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, that is something that I believe in when you're doing, you know, one thing that can really set yourself and your bird dog up for yep. really challenging circumstances is to force or rush the introduction to the gun and maybe lesser thought about, but just equally as challenging is introduction to a bird. Right. Um, Cause you, uh, you know, if you first time you maybe go through gun training so that, you know, the dog's not sh- uh, gun shy, but if your first time that your pup has a rooster in its mouth is the first wild bird and they get spurred. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that can, scare a dog for a long term so i i'm a big believer in doing bird and gun introduction with a person that's gone through it a bunch whether that's a club navda large Munsterlander club or professional trainer or just a buddy that yep. has helped but to do that with somebody that is you consider an expert is extremely important absolutely and i think if i was going to go back again i would also do an official um professional trainer one as Mm. well as my buddy um the the nice thing about doing it the way that i decided is i was able to do it with with the club they helped me carl thank you and then upland institute has that as well Mm. so then i can take that and he shows you how to do um and i think i bought a a little uh 22 uh what is it called the little just the blank yeah just the blank pistol yeah. from lion supply like lion country lion supply. country 30 bucks mm-hmm. it's perfect um so i'm doing some of this stuff on my own mm-hmm. um through the the lessons there so yeah, yeah that's great um so your 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 pup's ready introduce a gun introduced to a bird it's a year old hunting season is right around the corner What's what's the season look like in your mind? What are you hoping to accomplish this year? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just about the journey. Um, I need to stay focused and calm on that because I am really excited about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you kind of have that plan of, of sort of where you want to be. I, mm-hmm. I want to expose her a lot to, um, wild birds mm. that can be a challenge at times, you know, during the, our busy mm-hmm. time of the year. So I'm committed to putting dates on the calendar and just hunt. Mm. Um, I, I, my, one of my main goals is to fly solo quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily Spoyer on our team kind of mm-hmm. gave me that advice, you know, cause I, I went out and did the bird and gun. And I was like, dude, she would not come back. I was so embarrassed. Look, you need to eliminate that mm-hmm. stuff like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, she suggested just go out, you know, mm-hmm. the first season, first couple of seasons, fly solo, learn each other, get that partnership going. Um, so that, you know, really that is my, my big goal. I mean, obviously there are detailed things that I want to, um, you know, shore up her steadiness and her point and just little activities yeah. and exercises we're working yeah. on. Um, so a lot of that's details, but I think the big thing is hunt as much as possible with her, develop that partnership. Cause she, she, she's with me she's mm-hmm. with me now mm-hmm. but i i still don't think she quite gets it mm. um and when we we've, we've been on birds and stuff um but that and, and again that's that's probably one of the biggest things that surprised me coming from the family dog home companion mm-hmm. animal dog mm-hmm. uh to the to the bird dog is that i know i knew the dog would have the drive to get on birds but once you get a bird dog you want to do that for them. Mm. You want to give them that, right? I mm-hmm. mean, don't you? Mm-hmm. So that that was something that really surprised me because now I'm like, I need to get birds. I need, I need to find birds. <laughs> what, I, I need to get out there and do this. And it, it kind of goes against my my background. Like I was talking to you in bow hunting, everything was mm-hmm. fair chase. Mm-hmm. That was a huge mm-hmm. lesson. Probably one of my favorite things about ethical hunting and my dad didn't believe in high fence and fair chase so that was kind of a conflicting thing for me at first Hmm. but it is um it's just these dogs are amazing and you want to bring out that piece inside of them and uh yeah for this hunting season i look very much forward to doing that Hmm. Hmm. yeah it is um it's so magical when it all comes together and you know i I, I'm probably guilty of trying to script when I have a new pup what exactly I want to have sure. happen. Yeah. This is just a short story here that sort of happens serendipitously. So I've had, as an adult of my own, I've had four bird dogs in a row. Okay. And so I would echo Emily's um, advice to you is to hunt solo as much as possible for a variety of reasons, creating the bond it takes the pressure off of right. you and others judging your shooting, judging your dog. Just like, just go live, you know, experience the moment with your dog. And I took that advice. My very first pup, Trammel. <clears throat> and we went um, uh, opening day of, well, we had hunted a little bit of rough grouse before. But I can't really claim that she pointed or retrieved, you know. She was, like, six months old when grouse season came in. You know, she was young. But, like, a month later, she's seven months old, so real young. But I took her to a WPA in western Minnesota by myself. And uh, she pointed 
and I flushed a rooster and I made the shot. And yeah, it, like, you know, yeah. rock star, like yeah. just, you know, air guitar, just yeah. absolutely everything you dream of. Okay. My next dog, Izzy, Iserman. It's the red wing thing. Yep. Yep. We called her Izzy. I went to the same field for her very first morning, and I swear within 100 yards, her very first point, flush and bird came right there. Honest. And Izzy is the pup that passed away um, in the field. Not that hunt, but later on. So I I got Esky just a couple, two years after that, and we went to the same place, and I swear. Come on. Point. And at this point, Trammel's with me. Trammel honors Esky points. And it was almost to the spot of Trammel's first bird on this WPA in western Minnesota. Yep. Um, point flush rooster. Um, right? I mean, it's just, like, I want to be buried on this. <laughs> <spot>. <laughs> now, I, I will admit I did bring Gitchy, my fourth yeah, pop, right. out um and she did not point flush enough <laughs> <laughs> on this particular. Now, she's gotten a bird on this particular spot, but it didn't happen as her first. Yeah. I tried to make it happen for her. But I, it, three times in a row, uh, my, my first bird, my first rooster. Unreal. Um, so, you know, it, those moments, I guess the point of that is to savor those moments, how, however they're going to happen, right? Because... You know, with each dog, those firsts, you just never forget them. And there's something magical about that when it all comes together. The, you know, you talked about the puppy moments of the, you know, the, right. the, the barking and the teething and um, all the training. And when it comes together, um, it's just, you know, especially, you know, you get on a bird and you can sort of see it all happening yeah. and they are putting things together and it, it even comes back to you with a retrieval. It's magic. I can't You know, wait. it's just yeah. partnership. I mean, you talked about bow hunting. I mean, I grew up a bow hunter too. I haven't picked up a bow in, since I've had a dog. Yeah. Uh-oh. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I love bow hunting. I love venison, but yeah. gosh, that, like you say, that passion that, like, I got to find birds. Yeah. Um, it just changes things, and so it's pretty cool. I look forward to hearing how it all comes together for your first one. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> and then you get to have a meal yeah. and share it with the fam and relive it over and over. Yeah. Um, closing thoughts as we we start to wrap this up. That anything that you want to tell folks that maybe we haven't covered as if they're thinking about a dog. You know, if if they're if you're thinking about a dog and you're new or you're you're finding pheasants forever and quill forever coming to us for the first time, I mean it's it, you know you got to prepare. You're gonna get what you put in. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and and no likely, like I said, the plan is 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 likely gonna change along the way. Everybody told me to take it slow, take it mm. slow from feeding. That whole thing about. You know, I've, I don't know if it was Weeben who said it or McGrail or somebody, but it's, uh, I've never seen a bird dog ruined by going too slow, but I certainly have seen a few mm-hmm. of them messed up by going uh, too fast. And that's, that's kind of been how I've approached it. 
um, and just en- enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the journey. Um, there's no room for frustration, anger, emotion. Yeah, I've I've hopefully learned to take that out of it. And um, so yeah, that's I think that's about all I'd say. And outside of the bird dog thing, just for all the listeners and and everybody who supports pheasants forever and quail forever, the bird dogs we love, the habitat conservation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it sounds kind of cheeseball, um, but there are so many people that come to us whether you're a chapter volunteer, uh, burning, um, whether you are amplifying our message through social media, all of our partners in the mm-hmm. field, all of our corporate partners, like we are all pheasants forever and quail forever. And so thank you for supporting the bird dogs you love. Thank you for supporting upland habitat conservation. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you at pheasant fest. Well, that was going to be my final question. I know it, literally this morning you had a big meeting with the corporate partnerships team about, yeah. National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, Sioux Falls. Um, As we sit here in July, what's got you excited? Uh, Anything that people should already put on the horizon in their mind? Well, just, you know, without really thinking about it, South Dakota, (laughs) South Dakota. I mean, Pheasant Fest in Sioux Falls, South Dakota is unreal. Mm. It's just nuts how they roll out the red carpet. Orange for carpet. Orange carpet. Yeah. <laughs> for the reunion of the Upland community. Mm. I mean, it is amazing. So I look forward to the Bird Dog Parade and all the breeds and all the partners that are coming out, supporters, attendees. It's just a super, super rad time, and, and I hope you all can make it. And you told me before we hit record, like, it's getting tight already. Oh, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Booth so spaces are selling. Booth spaces are selling out. So if 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 you are a, a business owner or a dog club, please call me because we got to get you in. What in throughout your email and your phone number, if um, people want to reach. Yeah, out. my last name is somewhat difficult to uh, spell out <laughs> or pronounce. Yeah, or pronounce. <laughs> apparently, jeez. Luke Rampton, uh, so it's lrampton at pheasantsforever.org. But you can go to our website and mm-hmm. click on Pheasant Fest. And in the materials, my email and contact information is there. Yeah. So Pheasantfest.org. Pheasantfest.org. Find the materials. You'll find me. And, yeah. Uh, yeah or it, any of us, first letter of the first name, L, and then the last name. And it's R-A-M-T-H-U-N at pheasantsforever.org. You got it. Which, you know, you, you look at how it's spelled, and you can understand why I would say Ramthoon. It's perfect, man. You said it perfect. I love Ramthin. it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, folks, thank you very much for listening. If um, Please do check out uh, pheasantfest.org, quailclassic.org. You can find the show floor um, either way. Um, and as Luke mentioned, things are selling very well. So if you're interested in having a booth, please look up Luke and uh, he'll help you out. I'm sure he'd love to talk bird dogs with you too, um, tell you about his journey. I really enjoy reminiscing uh, about my own journey and hearing about Ada. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, man. All right, folks. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you, you know what's coming. Always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.